Hi, my name is Jason Barcham. I'm an associate partner with Servian New Zealand. Welcome to the Technology Whisperers, a technology and innovation podcast brought to you by Servian with your hosts Alistair Ross and Sean Muller. Join us as we demystify the latest emerging innovative technologies for businesses of all shapes and sizes, sharing our thoughts on how you can improve your current technologies, practices and processes to transform your business. You are listening to Technology Whisperers with me, Alistair Ross, and your host, Sean Muller. It's it's episode eight of the Technology Whisperers. I can't believe how quickly we have been running through these episodes. And yeah, I'm just ecstatic about that, Sean. My terrific Texan pal. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind, Alistair. The, the finding time to do the recordings and, and all the great guests that we've had on, it's just been... yeah. And the episodes and the feedback that we've gotten about the episodes have just been absolutely spectacular. It has been. And so today it is my my absolute pleasure to say that we have yet another guest. You know, so obviously I think people are sort of getting the idea now that they don't need to be too shy and can come forward and talk. And and obviously we've we've managed to talk just enough rubbish that's like just below that level or that threshold that people can go, okay, yeah, yeah, they, they're talking talking some level of sense here so I'll, I'll i can put my name to this too so today it is it's another it's another guest opportunity and with me today is none other than cam chapman of fernleaf consultant now cam has, has been around in the industry here in new zealand and and around the world i think as well but here in new zealand and started his career in the sort of mid 1980s that puts it well and truly in the uh, the pre-internet ages 15 years in software development systems design and architecture and has gone on to do lots and lots and lots of things in his career outside of that he was a certified enterprise architect with carnegie mellon university he moved into general business and technology consultant 15 that, years yeah. ago uh, hold, hold on a second hold on a second i was what can, can you say that uh Carnegie Mellon again. I, I just want to hear What's you say that again. Carnegie Mellon. What what what's the problem with that? No, 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 no problem. I Mellon. just wanted to hear you. I loved the way you said it so much. I wanted to hear you say it again. The, I'm good. I'm good. No, right, let me hear you say Carnegie Mellon again. <laughs> it's Come Carnegie on. Mellon. Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie. Well, I just remember the book Dale Carnegie wrote. I would say Dale Carnegie. But he was American, so he's. He, you he can't was. see this, listeners. But Sean is absolutely guffawing right now. He's, he's <laughs> no, he's, I, he's look, bobbing up and down with laughter. I mispronounce names in New Zealand so often, and locations right. in New Zealand so often. Yes, um, and and Alistair does such a better job than I do at pronouncing Maori and New Zealand names. That once in a while, a U.S. name comes up, mm. and. And he, he says it in such a unique way. It's so entertaining. I, I enjoy it so much. <laughs> All right there then. Okay. Carnegie Mellon or whatever. <laughs> we'll move on from that one. Uh, back to back to Cam. General Business and Technology Consultant 15, minute, uh, 15 years ago and uh, subsequently worked as an advisory consultant with a number of mid to large organizations. He came back in a consultant after a stint in software sales. Down, down, down. Oh, we'll talk about, I'm oh. sure we'll talk about that one, Cam. And uh, that was for a very large multinational, and and has also been a leading, working in leading executive roles for the last ten years 
and is now the managing director of a Wellington-based consultancy called Firmleaf, as I said, specializing in working with small and mid-sized organizations to optimize their use of digital technology. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to introduce you to today's guest, Cam Chapman. Hi, Cam. Hey, thanks, Alistair. And uh, hi, Sean. How are you doing? I've absolutely never had an introduction like that before in my life. So I'm uh, I'm <laughs> incredibly overwhelmed with the uh, the rigor that you put in there. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks again for the opportunity today to, to have a chat to you guys about, about business technology. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so Cam, that's, I think that's actually a brilliant place to start. Can, so Alistair and I talk a lot about this, about the fact that the purpose of technology is to provide business outcomes and, and that part of the technology whispers is this idea that there are a lot of technologists that just don't, sometimes they don't understand when they're talking to the business that they're not saying the right things. Now, you, you and I have enterprise architecture background, so we understand that kind of translation back and forth. But when you say business technology, help us understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. I guess to sort of, you know, pedal back a little bit, I mean, as a, an IT professional through many, many years, I guess I spent a lot of time talking to people about their challenges and their problems. So whether it was challenges with technology or challenges that could be solved with technology. and you sort of become almost a therapist at times, you know, listening to people complaining about how their technology is not working. And for many, many years, you know, we put names on it. You know, we, we would call our roles enterprise architect or consultant or what have you. And I really got excited when I started to do a bit of research around this concept of business technology. It, it really gave me a name for what I actually did and have been doing yeah. for the last 15 years. And that, of course, drove the birth of, of Fernleaf Consulting. But when we talk about business technology, I think the first thing that we need to think about is really sort of thinking about the definition around digital. We talk about digital technology and it's one of those terminologies that's sort of thrown around. People use it willy-nilly. For the purposes of what we're going to talk about today, digital is really about you know, including all of the systems and tools that, that, that use or transmit data and so forth. So that can be software, it can be hardware, it can be a phone, computer networks. You know, we're talking, we're, we're hearing a lot about artificial intelligence, you know, in the news of late, things like drones, gadgets and so forth. So digital really encompasses all of that. So with that in mind, when we can't start to think about business technology as IT professionals, you know, we've been actually doing business technology for a number of years. We historically look into the past to get guidance about how we should approach complex problems. And we've looked at as, as IT professionals would know, you know, we've looked into the past where we've looked at the industrial revolution. We've looked at how factories have, have switched into uh, mass production and looked at how they've developed processes. And we've brought those processes into our practices and, and the way that we operate. We've looked at other industries as well. So automotive, you know, Toyota's a, a classic example of uh, how Kanban sort of started to, to be used in, in the IT. And, and they've sort of driven or, or been aimed driving, you know, exceptional outcomes. And so as IT practitioners, um, we'd like to think ourselves as, as revolutionary, but we do take a lot of what we do from other practices and other parts of the of the world. And I guess with that, there's, there's been lots of failures. Um, and those failures, I think, you know, from an optimistic perspective, give us a lot of learnings. And so we've been taking those and actually looking for many years how we bridge that gap between business and IT, that, that traditional saying of, you know, how do we bridge that gap? Well, business technology 
really is a way of defining how that gap um, exists. So business technology is sort of driven from a business technologist perspective. It's, it's really about the existence of technology or data-related capabilities that, that actually run outside of IT. And that's often things like non-technically uh, trained people doing technical things. Yeah. So we all know of examples, whether we're a, a small business or you know a large organization where, where these kinds of things are happening all over the place. We used to call them shadow IT, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we will talk about shadow IT in a little yeah, bit. There is a difference. There is a clear difference between... Com completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. But there was, I mean, there, there was this idea. So there's this idea that once the IT department became so rigid in what they could do that business the business departments would get tired of it and would just go and do the technology around them and right. and i and i think that might have been uh, and yeah within the technology department we called it shadow it and it was a terrible yeah. thing because it impacted our budgets negatively and everybody fought against it but i do think it if there wasn't a value there if there wasn't something that was broken in the relationship then it wouldn't have happened right and Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah. We'll, we'll come to the sort of the definition of shadow IT as we work as we work through this conversation. And and you know, I absolutely agree. I've got a I've got an example that I'll talk about as well, where I was actually involved in trying to rein in a little bit of shadow IT, and that was it was driven mainly by need, but also by some really significant creativity. And so you kind of take your hat off and go, yeah, that's great, 10, 10, 10 points for initiative, but you know, two points for execution. But you know, we, we, what we're doing when we talk about business technology is actually looking at, at really sort of dissolving that gap between business. So we talk about, we used to talk about the bridge between business and IT, business technology just dissolves that. So it fills the gap and evens the playing field for technical and non-technical people to actually engage. So as we talk about that, we sort of think about methodologies. We think about, you know, how we've done this in the past. And there's, you know, there's been things like, you know, governance frameworks or methodologies like Agile, where as technologists, we've tried to bring something to the market or bring something to, you know, into our capabilities that allows us to engage with the business far more efficiently. So yeah. business technology is not about just agile. It's not about just governance. It's really, it's an encompassing concept that actually brings governance, it brings roles, it brings methodologies, disciplines, and all the technology platforms together. So when we think about business technology, it really is about bridging that or, or I guess, walking walking the bridge that, that has been closed between business and IT and actually coalescing both parties together so that they can actually work cohesively together. Yeah. I think I think you and I, Cam, we've talked in the past about how, you know, it was very there was a very clear delineation in the past about IT. They were very much technologists, people who were passionate about technology, loved getting their hands dirty with gadgets, whatever. You know, that was their background. They grew up in this particular way and they went to work. And yeah. the businesses at off the times, and this is going back as far as like the 1970s and 80s, you know, we're, we're basically saying, right, okay, we, we can see the seedlings of the benefits that information technology or, or computers back in those days could bring in an organization. So they thought, okay, well, it'd be a good thing to buy these computers. And then, okay, we're going to need to have some company to cut or, or individuals in our team to look after these computers and this data. And that, and, and that started the beginning. But these people that were brought in, well, you know, a lot of them were like 
you know, boffins wore the little twirling bit on top of their cap and you know, uh, well, little pocket protectors and stuff like that. They they were geeks, and a lot of them still are, you know. But they were very much a lot of and and you know, not they're not they weren't doing it out of malice or anything like that. There, there was no malice intended, I'm pretty sure. But it, effectively, these IT departments then grew up. They started to have this, you know, this whole time of where they would try and do things for the greater good and, and oh we'll put this system in and it's a really good system and it's good technology but it's kind of like the vhs and betamax you know back in the day you know the, the vhs won out because it wasn't a better technology it wasn't a better standard it was highly available and it was cheaper so it recognized the business need where and I'm, i you know i'm paraphrasing here but you know it's an analogy that a lot of people from our sort of generation will know right so the Betamax didn't win out because of its techno technological supremacy. And I, I think you need to. I think you need to update it to the Blu-ray versus HD DVD. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I'm too old school. But but, <laughs> but, but you're right. I, you, you're right. A lot of the IT departments they, they got to the point in 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 the 90s we we see it and then in 2000s we see it very heavily that they would do technology merely for the sake of the technology. And I remember yeah. sitting in rooms with up to the CTO and CIO with people throwing little tantrums saying, well, the business won't let me upgrade all of these servers to the latest version of Windows Server. Don't they know that there's all kinds of these issues associated with it? And, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking to myself, well, has anybody explained that to the business in a way that they can understand? And has the business told us what the cost yep. associated with doing this was? And, and, yeah. And that that never got across yep. any yeah, of us, right? It was it's almost, um, yeah. We we if you go back and we think about it, really, it was almost a solution looking for a problem. That's right. Uh, the technology was available. We need to go out there and actually find a way that we can showcase it and show how wonderful it it, it yep. absolutely is. You know, I one of my most favorite movies is is a movie called Hidden Figures. It's about yep. the NASA NASA computation mm -hmm. people that actually mm -hmm. use pen and paper to compute all of the algorithms that were required to to put man up into space uh, or put people up into space and, and, and on the moon. And it was uh, there's, a, there's a section in there where they brought in the three-letter three organization a massive mainframe that was going to make all of these humans redundant. And what it did is it actually changed the role of those people to become programmers. So right. the machine yeah. could actually computate faster. It didn't do it differently. It just did it quicker. Yeah. And uh, and so all of the people that were that were there employed to to actually use pen and paper actually then became programmers and learned how to use the yeah. machine. Yeah. So because again, there was a solution looking for a problem. The problem yeah. actually presented itself to the solution. Interestingly, those those people were called computers before yeah, that right. letter right. computer came along. And yeah. so it was it was interesting that the, the term the term computer changed almost overnight with the, the digital computer coming into exactly. yeah. And so we, Alistair, you and I have actually had this conversation and, and several times, and I think it's right. I think in the early days, Cam, to your point, we were, the business didn't understand what they could do with the technology. So it was a lot. We were bringing the technology to them and going, look, you can do this spreadsheet instead of having to handwrite in a, you remember those old car carbon copy paper spreadsheets that the old accountants used to use? So that here's this Excel spreadsheet and you don't need to do that anymore. But I think we have progressed to the point now where there are very few successful business people that don't understand the value of technology. And the technologists haven't necessarily progressed to the point where they're not still trying to sell a technology for technology's sake, instead trying to sell a technology for a business outcome's sake. 
Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful segue into, you know, how we um, define a business technologist, right? So the research that, that I've been going through defines business technologists really in two, in two genres, if you like, or two, two types. So we, we, we think about business technologists, dedicated business technologists. These are the people that, that are working in part of the business and their sole role is, is as a technical. So that might be someone like a data analyst, for example, that's working in a marketing department, or it might be a data scientist working in a, you know, in a, in a certain area of the business. So they are, their, their primary role is to actually work with technology, but they're actually working in a business unit, right? And that was, a, that was something that we saw probably in the last 10 years where analyst-type roles were starting to move into the business, and business, the business units were starting to recruit analysts that had a technical background. So I'm sure we can all remember the role of a technical BA, right? Um, yes. So that's sort of the dedicated business technologist. And then we have the second uh, type, which is the citizen business technologist. Now, these are the people that dabble, right? And these are the people that create digital assets, but it's not their full-time job, right? So it could be someone like a CFO, for example, who's creating um, spreadsheets to, you know, to report back to the board or... or, or Writing Mac writing macros in those yeah, spreadsheets yeah, to do yeah. things. And logging on to, to a website to, to, you know, to do some self-education around how to write a macro in Excel, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, without any knowledge of the implications of that, you know, from a security perspective or, or right, right, right. But the citizen business technologist, this is where small and mid-sized business owners typically fit in as well. So if we think about a, a small or, or medium-sized business owner there, unless they're running a technical organization or a, you know, a, a digitally based organization, their primary skill is not digital technology, right? So, so they are learning on the go. And, you know, I use the analogy technology is just, if you have a credit card and a first name, the implementation of technology is really simple. Yeah. This is where the citizen business technologists come in. And they're the ones that, as I said, dabble in the technology and so we look at those in terms of you know where where they fit in the business and they are equally um, effective in organizations obviously the dedicated business technologist there is some requirement for, for sort of, well, there's, there's less requirement for governance. They, they appreciate the risks that are associated with implementing digital technology, security, um, privacy, you know, with data and all that kind of stuff. The citizen business technologists, these are the people that probably need a little bit more guidance around what they're actually doing and what they're actually implementing. So if we think about business technologists, obviously we think instantly about analysts and we use that analogy before but they can be any any role you know they could be change managers they could be project managers that are using technology in a, in a particular way obviously developers and architects security people but even as far as people that do workshop facilitation you know these these people are contributing to bridging the gap between business and technology and while they might not necessarily be heavy digital technology users they are still facilitators of that you know of of the the bridge between those those two areas right. so the 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 business the role of business technologist is not a single role it's not something that we can yeah. we can sort of pin on an analyst or a developer or whatever it, it really encompasses a number of different roles that that work within within an organization but but is the key that, that they're working in the business units? Is that I mean is that yeah, the well fundamental it, key? Yeah, well, it is. It's really uh, that the key is that it's that they're actually working with business people. Now they might not necessarily be working in the business unit, right? They might still be based in IT, and we'll we'll talk about that in terms of you know how organisations may want to structure their their analysts. But their it's about their goal, and that their objective is to actually resolve 
issues or challenges with you know, digital technology if it's appropriate and, and facilitating that change and making it as simple as possible for non-technical people to be able to do that. Are, are we seeing, so, I mean, you're talking small and medium business makes a lot of sense, especially for the citizen yeah. business technologists, but are we seeing even within the large enterprises, the scaling out of this as low code, no code, and even AI assisted development activities and platforms start coming along? I mean, we saw a rise in business, and, I, and I'll use the term again. I, I'm not using it negatively. A lot of people think that. But we saw a, a rise in shadow IT when cloud yeah. came on, right? Yeah. Because you're right. A, a business department that was having trouble with their local IT could just choose to pick up the phone or go on the website and put a credit card in, and they'd have a cloud environment that they could they could work with. So yeah. is that has that been some of the facilitation that has made this, made this yeah, more so. yeah. successful? So, so, you know, we're technologists, we love our stats, right? So I've got some stats that, uh, that Gartner presented. These are a few years old. They, they come out of a, a study that was done a couple of years ago. And that, they were saying 41% of employees on average are actively involved in business technology. So that's almost half. And they're involved in either creating technology or data and analytics capabilities, right? So these are data analysts or, you know, they might be low-code, no-code developers that are in there assembling, you know, small packages or pieces of software. 25% of employees in government, now, now bearing in mind this is a US-based study, 25% of employees in government, over 50% are in IT intensive, oh, sorry, over 50% in IT intensive sectors are involved in IT related implementations. So a quarter yep. of all employees in government and 50% of employees in IT intensive sectors, right? And they, they also went on to say organizations who effectively support business technologists are 2.6 times more likely to accelerate digital transformation. Okay, now that's an interesting stat because what that's saying is that by including your business SMEs in the process, you're actually um, increasing the cadence and the ability to deliver at that speed around these around these solutions. Now, this this last fact is, is quite interesting. Thirty three percent of all business technology workers are ex IT. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen that the as people. Well. That are actually working in the business are from IT, so they've jumped ship <laughs> and mm -hmm. are doing what you know Fernleaf Consulting are doing, where we're actually saying, hey, you know, there are people out there that have the knowledge that can actually help business people to facilitate, you know, your your, your delivery and do it in a um, do it in a, in a in a in a quick way. Well, and and you you touched on something, and Alistair, I'm gonna drag you in because this is one of those terms that you and I have some heartburn around this idea of digital transformation, but you touched on it in a way that actually is closer to what I believe it truly is. And that's not just, that's not just making stuff available on the internet. A lot of companies think that's a digital transformation. It is actually facilitating the, how they do business using technology and using digital functions. And, and Alistair, I'd like to get your take on that. Do you feel that that's more what the true meaning of digital transformation is? I think if an organization goes underway of any sort of digital embankment without having a fairly comprehensive undertaking of process, of business understanding, of stakeholder engagement, mm. really just getting all of, all of the particular people involved and all of the non-technical aspects and understanding those 
clearly, then this digital transformation, whatever it may be, is doomed for failure. And, and, and I, in practically every project I've ever been on, if I come to it late and I see that the stakeholders haven't been engaged or the processes haven't been understood or, you know, the, the documents haven't been written that diagram the processes or flows, they all fail, all of them. I haven't seen one that has just gone, oh, yeah, we're going to do this bit of technology because this piece of technology is great because this marketing is really good marketing material that says product X is the one that we're going to drop in. And, you know, the sad thing is that we've seen uh, huge organizations, uh, both in corporate and in government, adopt a piece of technology because a conversation's happened on a golf course or it's happened, you know, a, you know, a product demo and it goes, oh, look, we can solve all of your problems. But that really misses a huge part. That's a technology showcase. That's not a business problem-solving aspect. You need to bring both worlds clearly together and jump that bridge. So, and and like Cam said earlier on about dissolving the 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 bridge. Whether we can actually get to the position of of dissolving that bridge entirely is 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 yet to be seen because there are technologists out there there are people who earn their their their, their craft their living from being and i kind of sometimes make it analogous to doctors there's doctors out there who really like to talk doctor speak and make it very difficult for everybody else out there to understand exactly what it is they're talking about when actually it's probably not that complicated sometimes it is but you know, like we, we need to get to a point where we're all talking the same language and making things just much more transactionally available. Hopefully that yeah. answers that question. Look, I think there's there's a couple of points there. I think the first point really is touching on the fact that I guess IT needs to recognize itself as being an enabler and being a contributor to helping to make digital technology more strategic. Right. So that's strategy is not about IT strategy. It's about business strategy. It's about becoming more successful as a business. And how do we leverage, strategically leverage technology to be able to support our, our strategic goals and objectives? But I think the other thing too that, that you touched on, you know, when you mentioned the golf course analogy is, is that that trusted advisory, making sure that you have a, a good, solid, trusted relationship with, you know, with your technology providers or your technology advisory. You know, I'll touch on this a little later when we start talking about small business, but you know, when you when you run a business, you surround yourself with trusted people. You know, you have a, a person, hopefully, that you can trust that's your accountant. You have some legal representation that you trust. And a lot of organizations tend to sort of forget the, the technology side of things. And, you know, we all hear this, the horror stories about when technology goes wrong or it goes bad or someone has a data incursion and loses a whole pile of data. And then all the hands start waving in the air. But, you know, having a good, solid, trusted relationship with a technology advisory, whether that as a large organization is your internal IT department or as a small business, you have a trusted IT provider that can actually give you advice and actually be very proactive about their relationship with you. So that proact proactivity combined with the trusted advisory, you know, you're going to become more strategic um, in the business and you become part of that, that strategic equation. So I think sort of summing up that, that that whole conversation, I think it really is about trust. It's about being part of that, that strategic conversation. And there are businesses out there that do this, but there are more businesses out there that don't do this, that, that should mm. be doing this better. The successful IT organizations I've seen have been those ones where the internal IT organization is seen as that trusted advisor. The ones where, and the vast majority of them are this way, the ones where fail, the IT, see, first of all, see themselves as understanding what needs to be done better than the business. That's the first mistake. Yep. The second is, is that they see themselves as, well, we're just a cost center. 
that that we do stuff when the business tells us what they want to do and you know what they never know what they want to do so they never tell us right and we never can deliver and and, and that animosity of course on the business side they feel like they never get told what they need to know and they they never get delivered what they ask for and they don't understand you know the complications i i mean I, I've done a massive amount of AI ML in the last three years and the complete lack of understanding of the complexity of AI ML from the business side, very high end CIOs at very large companies looking at me going, well, isn't it just software development? No, no, it's, it's not just software development. There's a wildly more to do AI ML and just having that conversation and educating the business to better understand that if there was a business technologist there, that was a trusted advisor in there that could provide them that guidance. I mean, we, Cam, we used to call these people business architects back in the day, right? Yeah, back in the true. late nineties, early two thousands, they were business yep. architects, but yep. somewhere along the line, this idea of business architecture. It was like, yeah, we're not going to spend money on business architecture. That doesn't make any sense. But half the job they did was designing how those processes and conversations and making sure that the business outcomes were being driven into the technology solutions. And yeah. 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 You're absolutely right, Sean. Yeah. I mean, the business architecture was all about showing accountability and, and yeah. showing that connection between the implementation of technology and how that actually supports what the business is doing, its function, yeah. its its processes, its goals and its object, objectives. You know, that I, I loved my, my you know, when I was a business architect, I loved um, yeah. going into organizations and talking to them about what they did. And then, and then looking at how they implemented their technology to be able to support what they did. And then use that to be able to show them where they have gaps. Yep. So where they, they had need to be able to, you know, they could leverage either existing technology, extend what they already had, or look to implement new technology. So it was and, an exciting time. And that it was a precursor to business technology. Yeah. Well, and 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 gives them a chance to make informed decisions. And I think that's the the, the biggest challenge is, is from the business side is, is that oftentimes they have to make decisions and they're not informed. They just don't know. They don't that's have right. enough information, and so they're they're making the best guess they can. So, that's actually a pretty good segue. L let's talk about small and medium businesses because I think there's a unique problem in this area in small and medium businesses because they don't have the traditionally. I mean, a lot of the enterprise size businesses, their IT departments are larger than some of these mm -hmm. medium businesses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work with, with small businesses for many, many years. I've had friends that have, that have set up small businesses. And of course, as the IT guy, I'm, I'm dragged in to, you know, to help them out. I had a, a close friend of mine who owned a business for 20 years and about a year into owning the business, we sat down and we actually put a plan on a whiteboard and he showed me that plan that he had uh, printed out 20 years later when he sold the business. And that was, that was the plan that he stuck to, which is kind of cool. You know, you think about businesses, yeah. a lot of business changes and, and so forth, but where we've actually come to now, and we touched on this point earlier on about technology just being so easy to adopt, you know, you, you, all you need is a name and a credit card and they're yeah. just setting up a business. Um, I, I went through this when I set up Fernleaf Consulting, right? It took me, now I'm, I, I'm in an advantage because I kind of knew what I was looking for, but it took me two hours to basically sit online with a credit card and set up my business, all the systems that I needed, everything from the company's office through to trademark registration, finance systems, web hosting, domain names, email, all that kind of stuff. Insurance was all done within two hours, right? Now, if we take that back sort of 20 years, and I don't want to keep going back to back to the past, but, you know, uh, the, the fact that we've got the internet, you know, as a simple mechanism now, generations have grown up 
that's all they know. That that makes things a lot easier. But what it does do is it brings a lot of risk. And if you're not doing your due diligence around the acquisition of these kinds of things, you can get yourself into a whole lot of trouble really, really quickly. So for small mm-hmm. business owners, they see, I guess, technology as kind of a, an annoyance, a side effect of, of doing their business, and that's all well and good. Mm-hmm. But if they don't pay enough due diligence to to actually getting you know good technology implemented, it's like going through the yellow well, what used to be the yellow pages, but is now yeah. online, um, and looking for an accountant, right? And just basically yeah. closing your eyes and pointing at the sheet. You, um, you, you make a good point there, Cam. And 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 one thing I'd, I'd just like to interject with as well, like when you went through the yellow pages, and I think on top of that there would be uh, the standouts, right? There'd be the big adverts in there. But there'd also be, you know, a bunch of sort of word of mouth recommendations, and word of mouth still happens. But you also have a plethora of choices now. If you think about accountancy software, maybe not, but you know, there are some big standout names that people know. But if you look at the other stuff, you know, the more niche software that people, you know, if your business requires your your ERP, your line of business software, whatever it may be, when you start thinking about that. If you're a small to medium business, choosing that particular piece of software, all of your friends are using some different software. There's there's probably 20, 100, 200 titles that you have to choose from. And so that that plethora of choice is a confusion and is extra noise that a, a a new business owner really, really has to contend with. And then they have to make that decision for each piece of software over and over until they've got all the software they need. And then what if they make, make, the wrong cho- make the wrong choice at the beginning and then six months, 12 months, 24 months down the line, they find out that problem has, has just begun. That's when having a, a, you know, a business technology advisor can really make a night and day difference because they make the right decision from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, you know, the plethora of opportunity and the plethora of, of options that people have presented to them now is, is staggering. The, the other thing I guess to, to add to that too, is the, the upsell that occurs. So we see this in apps that you download on your phone, you know, you, you, there's a certain piece of functionality you can get if you spend another $1.99 with us, or, you know, you have some smart systems that identify that you're doing you know some particular function in your system and therefore there's a new feature that we have that means you're going to implement you know spend another 29 dollars and and turn this feature on and this will make you change your life you know it'll be earth earth, um, earth shattering so you know it's these kinds of decisions that are, that are consistently being uh, presented to to small business owners and and you know i'm sure that 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 the, 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 there are a lot of small business owners out there that are just losing sleep over their technology environment and that doesn't oh, yeah. need to be the case you know technology is really about enabling the business to be the best they can be and so part of the role of a business technologist is to really help organizations like that help business owners like that and that's not not typically isolated just to small business owners you know we can think about you know managers of small teams within larger organizations or mid-sized teams within larger larger organizations that have a a bit of an it budget and have a little bit of a free reign on what they can do having to make those decisions and if there is no governance that's coming and no guidance coming from around them you know which way do they go and you can often be at the mercy of advertising you know the the biggest brightest shiniest advert that's coming at me that looks interesting i'll just click on the buy now and and off i go so you're absolutely 
absolutely right. It's 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 really it's a it's a time now where we're seeing a lot of systems that are being um, sold to organisations that solve um, specific needs, and so we we have quite a fragmented environment now, which kind of drives demand around. And uh, you know when you you buy your you know system X that's going to solve a problem for you, you need to make sure that it plugs into your finance system. And then you need to be a technical expert to work out how that, how the plumbing works, because you want one system to talk to the other one. So not only are you having to work out how to use system A, you're having to work out how to make it talk to system B. And so those kinds of challenges, you know, that they, they shouldn't be problems that, that small business owners have, you know, and I talk about, you know, I talk to small business owners, I go, look, be inquisitive, but, but don't actually become an expert, you know? So when I talk about, you know, become familiar with technology, but have a knowledge rather than and employ someone to actually help you with that that uh, that capability. So yeah, really important for, for for small business owners, you know, get someone alongside you that can actually help you with the advice that you need in the same way that you'd have an accountant or a lawyer help you with accountancy yeah. questions or legal questions. And um, and I don't and, think you're I don't think you're talking about cuz I I know a lot, I know some small business people and they're like well, I, I need to order Geek Squad, right? I need to hire Geek Squad to come and take care of my computers. And I, yeah. that's not what you're talking about. What you're talking no. about is, is is somebody that can provide a business technology advice. So when they have a choice between, oh, should I put myself in Azure or Google Cloud or AWS? I don't even know how to compare these three. I don't even know how, what's the cost difference between them. The business technologist can come in and help them make a decision that will work best for their business. I think that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and it does, it does, I guess, span, you know, a whole lot of different areas. So we talked about, you know, PC guy or PC people in a car turning up and fixing your PC and that's all well and good. And that might be okay if you've just got one PC and and you're not, you know, you're just using email and things like that. But, you know, as you go through, as as your business develops and you actually, you know, your business starts to grow, the technology that's going to support that business starts to get a little bit more complex because you have not only internally where you've got multiple people needing to work together, but you might be collaborating with some of your clients as well. And that might require you to do something safely on the internet, for example. Now, you know, setting up that kind of stuff, you know, when you need to get, say, you know, SSL certificates to ensure you've got secure HTTP or or whatever, as soon as you have that kind of conversation with a non-technologist, you can see the shutters come down behind the eyes and they go, oh, too hard. So, you know, it's that kind of stuff where you actually, as a business technologist, your responsibility is to sit there and actually explain to the business owner that if you're going to be talking to people over the internet, you've got to do it safely. The number of times I've explained to people what a VPN is, and I use the analogy of a pipe, you know, and instead of routing traffic through the air, you route it through a pipe, right? And they look at that and they go, that's, that just makes sense, right? I live by an ethos, which is kind of interesting. And I, and I challenge I challenge technologists that are actually uh, listening to this podcast. I, I, I have this thing called the mum test. And when I'm trying to explain a, a complex problem, I would sit in the back of my mind and I would sit there and go, how would I explain this to my mum? And... Now, you know, my mum's passed away now, unfortunately, but, you know, it would the, 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 the concept is how do I make this simple enough, but also communicate the, the need and, you know, if it's, if it's required, the risk around this. So how do I make this understandable by the person that I'm talking to? And so I, I guess I, I'll put a challenge out to all the technologists out there, apply the mum test or the dad test, or, you know, choose your favorite non-technical person in your life and actually use 
use that as a way of being able to go, how am I going to communicate this problem to this person? So they'll sit up and listen, but I'm not going to actually blindside them with a whole lot of technical yeah. mumbo jumbo. And, and, and also, into, as soon as you start to get into those three-letter acronyms, you're, you're going to lose them. That, that's it, right. So that was the point I was going to pick up on as, as well. Like you, you mentioned there, like the, the, the eyes glazing over. It's not just the fact that the people that you might be talking to don't understand. It's the fact that you're also in a situation where there is waning interest. You know, there are there are things that these these people are incredibly intelligent. A lot of these people that you'll be talking to are incredibly intelligent. It's the fact that it's not their but it's not their bread and butter. It's not their business. It's not the thing that they get out of bed for in the morning. That's right. And they don't they want they don't want to hear VPN. They want to hear yeah. how how does my business get fixed? You yeah. know, we've yeah. got problems today. You know, things aren't working. So, so I know so that. Out, uh, you know, yeah, I know, know, I know that we were going to. Exactly. I, I know we were, you mentioned earlier, we were going to talk about uh, my sales role. So I'll just touch on it very, very briefly. But part of the sales training and as a salesperson, one of the things as a sales technique that you actually test in your pitch is the so what test. Yeah. So when you're actually pitching something, come back and test that with so what from, from the person that you're pitching that to, your client or your customer. Why should I care as a customer? If I'm talking to a senior manager and I'm talking about VPN, you know, and I know there's a lot of technology out there, they're incredibly passionate and they'll go 10 to the dozen when they're talking and uh, suddenly the shutters come down and you can actually watch the conversation just absolutely atrophy and die right in front of you. Yep. You can pick the point at which that executive has gone, I, have, I lost you. Check out. <laughs> So, so it really is about making sure that, that, that what you're communicating is actually able to be understood, but keep it succinct and keep it short. You know, remember who you're talking to, senior executives, you know, they're, they're very, very busy people. You need two or three sentences. This is broken. This is how we're going to fix it. This is how much it's going to cost. This is how long it's going to take. And you'll probably just get a, yep, okay, go and do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you start throwing in things like VPN and SSL and blah, 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 unless, unless they're a technologist, you're going to lose them. So it is really yeah. about being appropriate in the way that you actually uh, have those conversations. And I think one I of the that... other good things about um, a business technologist, as opposed to you know a geek squad, for one of a better term, we mentioned geek squad. And, and we like geek squad. We're not saying bad things about geek squad. <laughs> yeah. But just you know, just the, the the person that comes along in a car and and you know you have them by the hour and they do this some whatever it is and fix something right. Oftentimes they know what they know. They went to university or college or whatever, and they got they learned a particular technology, and that's fine. But that makes that uh, whole approach a bit of a dictatorship unintentionally. But if so, if they've learned how to do it the Microsoft way, you're going to get the Microsoft tool, and the Microsoft tool might be the best one, but it also might not be, depending upon the business requirements not the not the technology based ones right but if a person has only learned that one and not understood the business requirements that is where you know having somebody who's more a business technologist aligned really can make a, a huge difference when you think yeah. about the longer term outcomes for a business look and and that's a beautiful segue into starting to talk about shadow it and i'll i'll create that link succinctly but you you did touch on the the point that when you when you're actually talking about you know business technology you are as a business technologist aware of your clients now you know our geeks and cars and 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 so have you they might see five or 10 or 15 people a day they might not necessarily have any context around the, the problem that they're walking into. So their focus is on that PC that's sitting on a desk. 
as a business technologist, and, and we talked about the business architecture background earlier on, it really is about having the context by which that you're operating in, the business context by which you're operating in. And, and that draws a, a long bow into that definition of shadow IT. So we've talked about business technology and the relationship that the business and IT have, or the business and technologists should have. Shadow IT, when we look at shadow IT, there is a very distinct difference. Shadow IT is, is really where systems are implemented, where they are deliberately bypassing the technologists. Yeah. So with business technology, we're talking about the implementation. We are, we are coexisting with our technology partners. Shadow IT is where this happens without our IT partners. And so they're very, very distinct. Now, the outcomes, obviously, are very different as well. So with shadow IT, you know, business people would argue that we're going to get what we want. When you talk to a technologist, and I've been in a situation, a large organization with a large um, system that was implemented in a shadow IT kind of way, IT basically washed their hands of the whole system. They didn't yeah. want to know about it, right? Because there was too much risk in, in actually um, picking, up, picking up the support for that system. Now, interestingly, you come back to Gartner, and this is a little bit old, these stats, but Gartner predicted that by 2020, one third of successful attacks on your IT will be as a result of targeting shadow IT implementations. One third, 33%. So this highlights the risk that shadow IT brings into an organization mm -hmm. where there may not necessarily be a, a consideration for the governance that IT companies or businesses actually bring to the implementation of systems and that governance is around security, it's around privacy of data, it's around security of data, user security, all that kind of stuff. You know, for Gartner to actually predict 33% of attacks are going to hit some shadow IT implementations, that kind of, that's a red, red flag around security, right? Well, and I, so, and I think some of the, I think some of the driving forces between business technologists and, and shadow IT, I think... The drive is the technology department is not telling us what we need to know. That's why we're going around them, or they're not giving us what we need. With a business technologist, it's, hey, we want to better understand the business and how the what the business does and how the business does what it does so that we can facilitate. I, I mean, the, I've been in some, similar to you, Cam, large organizations where some shadow IT popped up. And what I heard was the IT department going, yeah, the business doesn't understand why they should put all this security stuff in and they just want to do what they want to do and and the risk comes down on all of us and then i go talk to the business and they're like no one's ever told us there was security risk associated with this what are they talking about mm. and it's that complete yeah. lack of communication that drives shadow yeah. it yeah, yeah exactly i mean it's uh, you're exactly right sean it's uh, that that broken down relationship that broken down trust relationship there's no communication and and as a result, there's a lot of assumptions that are made and we come back to, you know, assumptive design. Well, we think the user is going to like this, so we'll just chuck it in, you know. Shadow IT, you know, seriously undermines the value proposition of IT. And it's it's an absolute challenge for, for CIOs and IT managers out there. I've, I've actually had a user come to me. I was, I was actually managing a business systems team, effectively a business technology team for a government agency. And I had a user come to me and says, I can do this at home. Why can't I do it at work? You know, and, and you kind of sit there and you go, that's a really good point. And then you sit there and run through your mind. Okay, there's a whole lot of security implication. We're working for a large agency. So there's there's implications around data privacy and blah, 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 blah. And you're actually mentally building a business case to say, why can't we do it? Why we can't do it? Whereas we should have actually been sitting there and going, why can we not do this? 
Yeah. Right. So I used to refer to IT departments as the department of no. And yeah. as the, you know, we encourage them to actually be, be a department of either, if you can't be a department of yes, so let's just be a department of maybe let's look into it, you know, but don't, don't let no be your initial response when someone comes to you with an idea, because that idea is driven by some kind of demand that they, or pain that they're facing. And if you can solve that pain, then, you know, that's got to be a good thing. So, so shadow IT, I guess, you know, it has, a, has a momentum and I guess the challenge is that it, it, you know, it is a, it is a challenge to actually get on top of that. And this is, this is not just isolated to, 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 to large organizations, small business owners will see this as well. You know, that same question, I, do, I can do this at home. Why can't I, I do it with you? Yeah. But you, you're a small business owner. You don't have an IT manager that can sit there and bang the desk and go, actually, I don't want my data going on to your, to your phone. Right. If anything, um, I would say that in these, this day and age with small businesses, it's more so because in the larger businesses, they've got large IT teams and they do things like, you know, having policy group policy that locks down the desktop. So yeah. you can't install software and stuff like that. But the small to medium sized businesses, you don't necessarily have that level of lockdown. And so therefore, you know, people who just want to get on with their job, you know, they don't necessarily have somebody in IT to go to, or if they do have somebody to go to in IT, they aren't necessarily the person that would be the most open to having that conversation. And therefore they go, you know, screw this. I'm going to do it myself, shadow IT. And then you get to the situation where you're looking through your organization and trying to track down the amount of shadow IT. That's, yeah. that's a huge challenge in itself. Like, okay, you, you've got an idea that you, you're, you, you know, the, the out of hundred percent of the IT in the organization, how much of that is actually shadow IT? And it's, is it 30, 33%? Yeah. Is it more? Yeah. You know, that's well, a scary so, thing. Very difficult so to find. 20, 20 years ago, you could walk around the floor, right? And go, uh, he's got a second desktop underneath his desk. Yeah. But now with cloud and SaaS, you, you could have shadow IT all over the world. Yeah. Mm. That's and right. and yeah. so, some of those business people could be making decisions like, well, I went to buy my uh, Azure subscription because I got tired of waiting for IT. And you know what? Running it in China is cheaper than running it here in New Zealand. But, mm. and I'm going to put all this data that, you know, my business doesn't know about it into a server that's hosted in China. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I had a, a, an exact example where there was an issue that, that was happening in the field. I was working as this business systems manager and uh, one of our very innovative staff members, her partner was a developer. And so over the weekend, they developed a mobile app to solve a problem, published it up onto the app store and on Monday sent an email around to the team saying, download this app. It'll solve all your problems. What they hadn't factored in is that they hard coded in everyone's phone number into this app and all of their contact details. And so what basically happened was that they had breached a whole lot of privacy by doing this. Now, unfortunately, we caught it early on Monday morning and I heard about it just through the rumor mill. And we, we basically, we had a conversation that, that went along the lines of, well, you, you realized you've, you've breached these, these, not just IT protocols, but you've actually breached the Privacy Act in general, but also we need to have a chat about how we're going to maintain this application. So is your partner willing to sign up to actually maintain this app and provide us with regular updates and so forth once we fix the issues that we've got? And, and that app was taken down on Monday night and a mail or email was sent out saying, hey, you know, we, we had a problem. We tried to solve it. It didn't quite work, but we haven't forgotten about the problem. And that was the key thing, right? 
this was just, it was a call for a solution. It was just that someone took the initiative to actually try and build the solution themselves without consulting with, you know, business technologists. We actually came back, we managed to solve the problem, but it wasn't building an app and sticking it out on the, on the app store. It was, uh, it was solving it in a different way. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's keeping those channels um, open, but it's, it's building that trusted relationship. It's building that relationship with, with your community that, that is inclusive and actually encourages them to come and talk to you. You know, so that open door policy, if you've got a challenge you think we can help you with, you know, come and have a chat to us. But it goes one step further. I think this is one of the key things about business technology is that business technologies, business technologists have to be proactive. Yeah. And this is where you actually sit and you, uh, you make an effort to understand the, the business people that you're working with and the business model that they're working in, their operating model, and you think about opportunities and you start to present those opportunities, right? So what you're doing is you're actually heading a lot of problems off at the pass by actually starting to bring suggestions to, to these people. So there is a culture where, you know, we talk about being on the back foot and being on the front foot. This is very much about, about playing front, front foot shots. Let's say that three times fast with a mouthful of jelly beans. It's about playing the front-footed shot and being proactive about the relationship that you actually develop and maintain with your customers. So that includes technologists in large organizations. It includes IT service providers as well. So, you know, I've worked with IT service providers where they will just take service tickets and will just action service tickets. But don't actually yeah. sit there and go, hmm, we see a trend happening here. Maybe there's a, an issue that we need to actually address and actually come back and go, hey, let's have a conversation and let's look at addressing that. So if anything, I can encourage technologists that are listening to this to start to become proactive. Don't be painful. So don't live in the face of your business um, folk, but look at trends, look at where there is opportunity to actually solve challenges and problems and actually start to, to propose solutions because no manager likes to hear someone come to them and go, your business sucks. But if someone comes to you and says, your business sucks, and this is how I think we can fix it, you're likely to get a, an audience. So yeah. think about those solutions and think about how you could um, pitch those solutions using the mum test. You know, what would I, how would I actually pitch this to my mum and see how, see how that goes. So that's really sort of, you know, the crux of that business technologist role. I think what this is also going to do is from a, you know, a business technology perspective, it's really going to encourage larger organizations to really think about what their internal operating model looks like. There are some large organizations out there that I won't name that I, I know very well internally that are probably going to not take this change so easily. So what I encourage, you know, IT managers and CIOs to do is actually look at business technology as an opportunity rather than a threat. Look at it as an opportunity to give your team a new way of working. And business technology is not just about implementing agile and calling it done, right? It's about changing the culture of the organization yeah. and changing the culture of your technologists. It's about how do we change the way we think about solving problems. There isn't a methodology for business technology yet. I'm working on it. When I do, I'll hopefully become a millionaire. But, but <laughs> Tell me you're a million bucks shy of being millionaires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it really is about changing that culture and changing that energy about wanting to engage and being a lot more proactive. So 
you know, CIOs that are listening to this, CISOs that are listening to this, so security officers that are listening to this, you know, your, your toes are probably curling in your shoes and you're going, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let the, the users free. It's, it, that's not the case. You know, where you've got governance that's required, make it as easy as possible to consume. And I've had CISOs come to me and, and risk managers come to me and go, how do we engage early? How do we actually engage with you early in your project so we can actually educate the team on what's what's needed and what's required? That was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. That was a really successful project because we had the risk people coming and the security people coming really early and they were on the journey with us. And so absolutely. it wasn't a matter of us you know, bringing a solution to the security people and they going through the certification with their big red pen and going, no, 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 yes, no, yeah. no, failed they actually got to the end and they, they were actually presenting our solution to the to the governance board which was you're fantastic. talking my language i mean i well, think that that was something that sean and i we had a podcast on security recently and i think think that was something that i raised then that really security too often and i mean we are picking on security here but it isn't just security but um security is a great one for an example because it is so abused and especially in New Zealand at the moment where it is an afterthought it is at the end of the process and that is a terrible oversight and if you if you all collectively you know all of the different functions not just security but let's and just say let's for simplicity's sake say just security at this point all of these functions come together and work through the prog progress from the beginning and understand the goals of the project, the the outcomes, you know, uh, who the stakeholders are, you know, what what processes, what gates are going to be, what the milestones are, whether what what methodology of project management you're using, all of that sort of stuff right from the beginning, and then have a, a nice way to integrate process of security in this case alongside that that fits in with everybody's way of working then everybody wins and we don't have that like you just said cam that that red pen coming out right at the end mm -hmm. and so if you have that red pen coming out at the end what happens is project delayed project budget blown people are very sad and uh, and then there's this sort of recurring loop of oh those security people they they're horrible to work with they, they're always saying no well in fact no they don't want to say no to you they want to be saying yes, but they say no because they've not been involved in the process until right at the very end, when of course they're going to do their diligence, they're going to do their job and find out, yeah, of course, people, people are people. We we make mistakes all the time. And they've, you know, these mistakes have been baked in really early in the project. And then now they're being discovered right at the very end. Yeah. No, not a big Absolutely. shock. No, it's not. And and I think too that, that that extends into that small business space as well. So as a small business owner, when you're implementing or you're looking to purchase a service online, you know, think about things like you said earlier, Sean, about, you know, where your data's been stored. Are they clear about the fact that it's actually been stored securely? You know, is it in a data center that's in the middle of a war zone? Or is it yeah. in, you know, a data center that it shouldn't be that I don't want my data in? Think about the, not so much about the functionality early on, think about the security side of it. What if my data, you know, think about the data that you're putting in there. If it's customer data and you're a customer of my organization and suddenly I see my data in a, in a breach, how am I going to feel? So it's your responsibility as a business owner to ensure that the data that you collect for your customers is actually secure make sure that happens and if you need to get a specialist to help you understand that then then do that you know but don't don't guess don't guess you know that that stuff the functionality you know that 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 
that that's on the glossies that they they actually pitch to you but they don't often talk about the security side of things and the you know the obligations that you know there was a there was a new version a new edition of the privacy act that came out a couple of years ago not a lot of people understand the new obligations and requirements that are imposed on all businesses in new zealand now and there's some requirements changes yeah, yeah yeah absolutely so you know for those that are not sure about that i'd encourage you to actually go and at least have a look at you know some of the highlights of the the new privacy act because that's yeah. that's really important and that applies to businesses across the board it's actually um, the, the government's actually got a really good the privacy commissioner our website has got a really good website like a, an online learning thing and the basic you know this is the difference between privacy act two and three the the website itself the the training materials I think it was half an hour, you know, you go through it all and it's it's very clear, very clear to understand. So I'd highly recommend everybody goes on that. Yeah. There's some fairly serious things happening in the world at the moment. And a lot of advisory is coming out talking about two-factor authentication. So securing your systems beyond just having a username and a password, there is potential risk around significantly large data breaches as a result of, of, of what's happening. And so, you know, thinking about things like this, you, you could truck along in your small business just being, you know, quietly oblivious to, to, to all this is happening. And the biggest risk that you have is that you could sit there and go, I'm too small to be hacked. Yeah. Yeah. You're oh, yeah. Small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. if you've got a, you might have a client list of say three or 400 people, they're not looking at you as an organization. They're looking at the data that you hold. Yeah. Um, we, we brought that so, very topic up in the security podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. So if you are yeah. interested in more detail on that, do listen back to that podcast. Yeah, that we'll head, head back to that for sure. It's a so, day, yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, if, if, if we take that moving forward, I think, you know, some of the things that I'm forecasting for business technology, you know, as we, as we move forward and some of the things I'm seeing in the market is I'm seeing a lot of functionality that's being augmented. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of acquisitions that are happening at the moment. So last year, for example, Salesforce bought Tableau. Now Salesforce is a big customer relationship management system, cloud-based. Tableau is, a, is an analytics analytics platform. And now I'm merging their products together. And so you had two very successful products that are now coming together and coalescing as one. So we're starting to see a lot more of that. Microsoft went on a big spending spree last year. Adobe, HP, Visa, Zero has the, the accounting software. They had uh, some significant acquisitions last year. And so what we're seeing with that market is we're actually seeing acquisitions building larger systems. So what that means for the end consumer is that you can subscribe to, say, Microsoft, for example, and you're going to be able to get access to a number of additional pieces of functionality through that subscription. What that does uh, from an integration perspective is it gives you a lot more security because you have a single sign-on to a provider and through their channels. So Microsoft right now are putting a whole lot of bulletins out around two-factor authentication. So, you know, having a text sent to you when you log on so that they can prove that it's you that's actually logging on. You know, th these are measures that have been put in place to secure, secure you and your data. So look for things like that when you're actually implementing, you know, implementing solutions. You know, one of the other pieces of advice I can give for, for larger organizations is start to loosen some of the restrictive practices that you have around governance. COVID in New Zealand actually demonstrated quite quickly and quite vividly what can be done when you do away with governance. I mean, there was there was some governance, but some of the people that I've spoken to around the, the, the initial COVID response in New Zealand and getting access to data and information across government agencies, there was a lot of things that they actually just said, look, let's just get it done. 
and we'll yep. deal with the implications a, of that afterwards. There was a lot of governance for governance sake, I think. Yep. And yep. once they, they, they draw down the walls of, of that, that governance and just took that away and just said, well, what do we really need in terms of governance? And what, what do we actually have? And in a lot of cases, there was this big volume of governance that really wasn't necessary. And yeah. it's nice to see that people are starting to think it, about making things it, a bit more move easier. It's, it's kind of interesting because because a lot of that governance, because I, I talked with some of the CISOs around where that governance came from, and a lot of it was the lack of understanding of what the technology really did. Mm. So they felt they needed to put governance in to protect themselves and to control things that they didn't understand. Yeah. Because the, the technology people hadn't done a very good job communicating with the security, the governance security, not the IT security people. If you're working in IT security and you don't understand the technologies you're working on, then there's a there's a knowledge gap there that needs to be filled. The IT security people should know enough about the technology to be IT security people. But on the governance side, if, if you don't understand the technologies, you're going to tend to put governance in place that restricts it. Yeah, I, I think really it comes back to the ethos that you live by. And I, and I, it really grinds my gears when I hear people talking about best of breed. Really mm. what, what business technology is about is fit for purpose, right? Mm. So that can change over time. So when you implement yeah. a best of breed solution, you're actually implementing it once. With fit for purpose, you're actually, you're actually reassessing the need on, an, on a regular basis. And then that can adjust. So you know, as part of being a business technologist, it's about introducing that flexibility to be able to change, right? Mm -hmm. So we all know, you know, we've all got stories about that project that was designed four years ago and it was implemented four years later and the business has gone off and done something else. Keep keep in pace with the business. Keep in pace with the, 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 the change that your business is actually going through. Businesses will change. COVID was a classic example of where businesses were pivoting 90 degrees just to stay open, right? Yeah. So as a technologist, how do you actually pivot you know, just as quickly, just to keep pace with that and uh, and provide that advice. So, and, and that 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 also applies to to small businesses as well. You know, it's well within your rights to change your mind every six weeks on what you're going to do, but make oh, sure yeah. that you've actually got the support to be able to do that. So, make sure that your solutions are fit for purpose. And make sure that they are keeping track, and and really, you know, encourage the technologists out there to actually explore the complexity of the solutions that you've got. You know, do they need to be that complex? Do you need that level of governance around what you're actually doing? Which I guess brings me to my call of action to, to, to various people. And I guess as a business owner, what I'm saying to you is engage with specialists that can help you on your digital journey, right? Mm -hmm. You can do it yourself, but there will be a knowledge ceiling that you'll hit very quickly. And at that point, you, you can't make things up as you go along because that will just introduce so much risk to you. So become familiar with technology, have a knowledge, but not necessarily focus on developing a skill. So understand what you're asking for, understand what you've got, and don't be afraid to ask questions, right? So never lose that inquisitiveness about what's actually going on. If you've got the right technologist yeah. working with you they will explain that journey with you and give Very you nice. that understanding yeah. you don't have to be an expert in that field just an understanding you know is, yeah. is, is enough so i really encourage you as a business owner you know really really get involved but but don't take it on your shoulders right give that give yeah. that task to someone else to do as a technologist what i'm what i'm actually saying to you as a challenge is look at how consultative you are 
you know, what your approach is. We've all heard the, the two ears and one mouth analogy, right? Use them proportionately. If there's training that you need around, around you know, consultative skills, there's, there's training available out there that you can take. Be business curious, right? So ask for opportunities to engage with your business people if you're in a large organization, right? If you're a service provider, listen and actually ask, you know, be interested. People love to talk about what they do just ask them. You'll learn a lot about what they do if you just ask them about the organization. Play the naivety card. If you're uh, in the first three months of a relationship, you've got that opportunity to go, I don't understand. Explain to me, help me understand a little more. So be business curious. And as a technologist, again, build on those softer skills and consider getting a, a business mentor. You know, in New Zealand, we have ITP and they offer great uh, mentoring services, or it might be someone senior in the organization. You could shoulder tap them and go, hey, I love the way that you work. Could you, you know, would you consider, you know, being a mentor for, for me? Mentors are a great way to, to actually get a little bit of a different insight into how you can operate. So think about that. As an IT manager or a CIO, you're probably experiencing the pain around shadow IT. There's no doubt it's, it's in large organizations and it's prolific. It's what you don't know that's killing you. But can, you know, if you're not already, consider experimenting with the concept of business technology. Get a bit more open. Look for projects where you can actually engage at a, at a common level. Where I've seen success is where business people have actually um, been brought into an IT group and are actually working alongside the IT people. However you do it, that's, that's I guess, horses for courses. It really is how the organization will tolerate that kind of, that kind of co-working um, environment. Look at neutralizing shadow IT by taking a consultative approach. Ask people what they're doing. Ask people what their challenges are, right? As a CIO, you know, of a large organization, you, you probably got hundreds of people working for you. So that might be a little bit of a, an injection into the team to go, hey, let's go and find out what people are actually doing. Be inquisitive, you know, build that culture and environment for success and curiosity, right? So, you know, Alistair, you know, we talked before about some of these IT departments that are very governance focused. It's only going to be this way or the highway, you know, start to soften that approach. As a CIO, remember that your customer always has an option. They don't have to use you. So, you know, it might be that you're embedded in the organization, but there are a lot of providers out there that are vying for your customer's business. And just remember that, you know, you are potentially in a competitive environment. So start to think about how you can actually create that environment, loosen that governance and look to identify, train and encourage digitally skilled workers to collaborate in an inclusive way. So these are business technologists that are out in the business. Look to identify these people and look to actually help you um, build this, this new culture around, around business technology. So it's a big task and I know CIOs and IT managers have a lot more to worry about right now, but it is really about thinking about that culture and how, how you can actually change that culture to work yep. with the business. And then so, last on my list is the service providers. These are the people that are providing services, IT services to organizations. Listen to your customers. It's a piece of advice I can give. Learn about their business and be prepared to adapt and be proactive. I've worked with a lot of third-party providers at the, recently that are just not being proactive. They'll take a ticket and they'll do that. They'll they'll resolve that ticket and then there's there's no questions about you know what can we do, what additional work can we do to help. So be proactive in how you actually deliver your services. Yeah, we. I was going to say, Camp Alistair, we we've, we've opened up so many doors that we could go down. I literally, I think we could spend two or three hours. Yeah. 
I, I think uh, that's it. We've we opened Pandora's box, and I think um, <laughs> it just goes. It, it, this is a perfect insight to the the wonderful world of Cam Chapman's head. There, there is oh, there yeah. is so much yeah. <laughs> fantastic advice in there, and so I mean it it. it when when you told me that you'd started Fernleaf Consulting, Cam, you know that you know knowing the, the things I knew about you at the time, you know, it just it sort of seemed to be a perfect uh, marriage of events. So you know, obviously, the listeners to the podcast today have had a, a a chance to get a little glimmer of that insight that you you can bring to an organisation. So could you tell the listener just a little bit about and give a little bit of a plug for Fernleaf and and tell sure. them what it's all about? Yeah, so Fernleaf was was established back in late 2021. The stimulus, or I guess the the stimulus for Fernleaf was was really COVID. I was seeing a lot of small and mid-sized businesses just, just struggling to pay their staff, struggling to keep their doors open. And we've all seen the news articles about how difficult it was for business to, to keep the lights on. And I thought to myself, there's got to be areas in these businesses where there's there's a lot of additional spend and technology that might not necessarily um, be needed. And you know, if we could free that up and help businesses to actually inject that money back into their workforce and keep the lights on or keep their staff employed. And I guess it's sort of growing, growing from there. And with my consulting background, I really did want to start to bring this idea of a new way of organizations to work and, and to also help those smaller businesses to, to get off the ground. You know, I'm a small business, I got off the ground. I've got lots of friends who have small businesses that have really struggled with technology. And there really isn't anyone out there that can actually just come alongside you for a, maybe an hour a month or you know, half an hour a month and just go, actually, you kind of need to do this or you kind of need to do that. So really Fernleaf was about just providing that advisory for those small to mid-sized businesses. And then for the slightly larger organizations, you know, to help with, you know, if there is that need for change to help with facilitate that, uh, that sort of that cultural change. So it's not just about technology. It's about how you change that culture. It's how you help your people to learn new skills and how you actually foster a positive culture that's going to want to make people come to work, but also come and work. So yeah, Fernleaf was really uh, about bringing the, the culmination of 30 plus years of my life in IT and really sort of starting to give back some of that in different forms to the IT community here in New Zealand. And, you know, the hope is that, you know, we can continue collectively as a, a community of IT professionals to support business in a way that helps them leverage digital technology effectively um, and cost effectively and appropriately so it's fit for purpose yeah. so um, yeah in short that's where that's where Fernleaf Consulting has, has come from and, and that's where we hope to hope to be yes I mean what what really uh, pleases me to hear as well is that, that about the this community aspect that you've mentioned the fact that you know we're doing these things for positive change and there's there's a definite amount of sincerity in in what you're saying there mm. and I think you know obviously and this is not a you know a podcast that's aimed on promoting Serbian or anything like that. But, you know, I think one of the, the aspects that I'm proud to be part of Serbian is the fact that we, we are a community-based uh, organization and we do have this level of pride in the fact that, you know, we, we, you know, we say what we, we do and we do what we say, you know, we, we're, we're honest about everything. We, we have a conscience. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that whole bringing it back to a community aspect that really does resonate with me. So 
that's fantastic, Cam. I'm super excited for you for the business. And you know, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more? So fernleafconsulting.com is our website. So we have all of our services listed up there. We've got a contact form on the website. If you wanted to contact us, we're available via LinkedIn. Uh, search for Fernleaf Consulting on LinkedIn and you'll see, see us up there. Or you can pop me an email directly to cam at fernleafconsulting.com. And and I'll put links to those in the in the notes for the podcast, Cam. So they yeah. they have them. Are there any? Do do you want? Do you follow? Can people follow you on LinkedIn or? Twitter Absolutely. or any place else? Yeah, no. So we, yeah, definitely, you know, follow Fernleaf Consulting on LinkedIn. We, we're in the process where, you know, only a young organization. We've got a couple of blogs uh, posted already. We're planning a series of blog posts over the coming months. And then they're going to be based and geared more towards small to mid-sized businesses. And they'll be posted both on the both, both on the Fernleaf Consulting website, but also up on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, come and have a look at LinkedIn. Follow us on LinkedIn. We don't have any subscription functionality on the website yet, but that's as technologists, it's on the list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we will have that. But uh, yeah, the best way would be to follow us on LinkedIn. Awesome. Oh, very nice. So, well, Alistair, awesome. yeah, is that, I've, uh, is that I've been Alistair Ross. You can catch me um, on LinkedIn as well. If you go to LinkedIn, just search for Alistair Ross Survey, and I'm sure you'll find me there. You can also get me on the on YouTube as well. I've got my own little uh, YouTube channel um, called Al's Geek Lab, and that's my own little. Uh, fun time stuff it's very very geeky that's but it's thus it's in the name and you can get me on twitter aj ross nz sean how can people get in touch with you oh yeah absolutely so you can reach out to me at sean.muller at servian.com directly or you can follow me on the instagrams twitters linkedin's facebook's sean g muller you're, um, you're far more hip and trendy oh, than i am <laughs> I, I refuse to do the id you know, I, I'll, I, I'll just go straight to TikTok. I have, I have, I haven't done a TikTok account yet, but I have, you know, that little half hour on Sunday afternoon that I make sure. Can, all oh, imagine, there. Cam, could you imagine seeing Sean doing his little dances, his little Texan dances, yeah. line dancing? No. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Put his fedora no. on as well. There's, just, be... there's no, no words. Sorry. Yeah. Just, just no, just no. <laughs> And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, it has uh, been great. Thank you so much, Cam, for coming along and joining us for this Technology Whisperers. I'll, I'll sign off with that. And thank you again, everyone, for listening in. We'll see you very soon here on Technology Whisperers. Until then, thanks and bye-bye. Thank thanks, guys.